0: So good to be back with you this evening. It's truly been a a blessed day for Nicole and myself. We were uh, fortunate to have our two oldest girls with us today. I'm just sorry that Taylor wasn't feeling well and couldn't uh, spend a little more time uh, with the congregation and Now we have some of our uh, dear friends from Wheeler Hill come down to visit with us. three wonderful people that have come down to visit with us and then A man by the name of J.T. Myers. I'm sorry that Brother Freeman was not guarding the door today. I'm sure he would have uh, noticed something right away and not allowed him to come in. But anyway, he's with us and so we'll be kind to him while he is visiting. I tell you, they surely are great people. We appreciate uh, uh, J.T. and Betty Myers and of course Don and Imogene. Clay's uh, brother and sister-in-law we're glad that they're here with us and it's always good to see old friends and especially when uh, we're of like precious faith and we can fellowship with one another and uh, I I talk with JT quite a bit on the phone and Nicole always knows who it is when we begin to kind of talk a little ugly to each other right off the bat she knows I'm talking with JT but uh they've been very good to us we appreciate them and uh have wonderful memories of them, and uh, we are glad that they're here with us. I always like to tell a story. I'm sure I've told this, but I just love telling it, so I'm going to repeat that. Standing on the porch one evening at Wheeler Hill, and I was speaking with, uh, it was a Wednesday night, and speaking with Don and uh, Clay, and it came up how old they were, and I wasn't for sure exactly how old Don and Clay were, but uh, I was uh, surprised that uh, they were uh, as old as they were. And so I looked at them and I said, boy, I hope I look as good as you do when I'm your age. And Don looked at me and he said, you don't look as good as we do now. <laughs> I said, you know, from one of your elders, I, that, that really makes you feel good, you know. So, but uh, I said, thank you so much. I'll keep that in mind. From the pit to the palace, please open your Bibles Genesis chapter 37. We're going to start... In the passage 12 through 22, we're going to uh, stay for the most part in Genesis. We may move around a chapter or two. We're going to talk a little bit about some New Testament passages, but we're going to focus on Joseph this evening. Of all the people throughout Bible history, surely none surpassed the godliness and the piousness of Joseph. We read about him through uh, the accounts recorded for us by Moses And we learn of his piety, his goodness, and his wonderful moral excellence and the way in which he lived his life under circumstances that were far less than ideal. He was a man that was both near and dear to God's heart and a man that strove even as a young man, which is a rarity in many cases to follow after what God wanted and is a great example and an influence in our generation as it is in any generation that has ever been. I want us to notice that this is a true life account of a young man who began as a slave and became a savior to thousands of people, all the while overcoming obstacles and things that would cause what we might think of as a normal person in the world's standards to uh, stop trying to accomplish what God has set forth for them to accomplish. And all the while also, we're going to notice God's providence and His taking care of uh, Joseph and His plan that He had put into place. Now, for us to truly understand the events that happened in Joseph's life and as we make application to them into our own lives, we need to kind of back up just a little bit and look at the background of how we got to be where we are as far as Joseph at the age of 17. If one were to ask Joseph's brethren, the the other sons of Jacob, to describe their youngest brother, I think probably one of the first things they would say is that Joseph was a tattletale. Joseph told on his brothers. He found out some things that they were doing and he went and he imparted that information to his father Jacob. Notice in Genesis 37, verse 2. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Joseph was right in what he had done. He had discovered something that... Uh, his brothers were doing. We don't know what that was, but looking at their history and their background, it could have been something bad, uh, something a little more than just uh, mischievous young men. But at any rate, they did not appreciate uh, Joseph's behavior. Now, he did right, but they didn't see it that way. And so they did not like what he had done. And sometimes as parents, we find ourselves not really wanting to listen to an evil report brought to us, right? But if we're going to show love to our children, we ought to at least investigate the report and see what's going on. The second thing that didn't endear Joseph to his brethren was that Jacob loved him more. He was Jacob's favorite child. And now one would think that Joseph or uh, Jacob would know better than that, right? We would think his history would, uh, Teach him that that would not be the proper thing to do. Now notice some of the things. Genesis 37 verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. Again, looking at the history of Jacob and the things that happened by parents showing favoritism to one child over another, we would think that Jacob would understand that that is one of the things that will destroy a family. After all, it was Isaac that loved Esau better, it was Rebekah that loved Jacob better, and that destroyed that family and tore it apart, and they were separated, not to enjoy each other's fellowship and company as they grew into their older years. Now this gift of the coat, or the, the tunic with sleeves, that would have been a... A great point of contention with those brethren because what that represented represented was that one was exempt from labor. It, one was exempt from labor. Now the normal wear would have been a short-sleeved tunic that went down to about the knee. Therefore, when you were out in the fields and you were working, the uh, the, the cloth, the material of the the clothing would not get in the way. When we read about Peter and his encouraging the Christians that he had written his letters to, he says, now gird up the loins of your mind. Now what he's talking about is when people went out into the field and their robes were a little longer than uh, they needed to be for that type of work, what they would do, they would gather those robes up and they would tie around their waist and they would not get into the way. Now I've seen people work in that way while I've been on travels outside of the country. They would gather those uh, I always said gather their dress tail up and tie it around their waist and that way it would not get in the way of their work. But see, the person that would receive this, uh, tunic, this tunic with sleeves, the long tunic that went down to the ground, often was the one that would receive the patriarchal blessing, the birthright. And that brings us to the, to another point of contention that, uh, Joseph's brethren would not like. He was going to receive the blessing from his father. Not the oldest, not Reuben. Notice 1 Chronicles 5, verses 1 and 2. Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but for as much as he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given unto the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel. And it goes on to talk about how that that is not reckoned merely by chronology. It could be given to whomever the father wanted to pass it on to. And so Reuben was not given that birthright, that great blessing, and it isn't until we get over to Genesis chapter 49 that it is officially stated, but the sin that caused that to come about was recorded in Genesis 35-22. Reuben misbehaved in an immoral way and then he lost his birthright and his blessing. Now the fourth, and probably the most troubling to his brothers, was that Joseph was a dreamer. He had dreams, didn't he? He dreamed, we read of the first one about the dream, uh, the dream of the sheaves, where all the sheaves bowed down to his sheath, and that indicated that his brothers would be in subjection to him. Now that was bad enough, wasn't it? But then he had another dream. And that dream indicated that the sun and the moon and the stars would bow down to him, which also indicated that his mother and his father would also be in subjection to him. And his brethren did not like that. They viewed Joseph as an arrogant young little boy, and they thought that he was way out of where he ought to be. And that upset them. They didn't appreciate that. Now... As we read this account, it becomes clear that even his father Jacob was becoming a little bit weary of these dreams himself. But notice what Moses recorded, Genesis 37, verse 11, "...and his brethren envied him, but his father observed the same." That's very similar to a statement made about Jesus' mother Mary. It appears as... If Jacob contemplated and thought about this information, that there might be something to this, much like Mary did. Notice Luke 2 verse 19. Given the information about her son that would come, Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. That looks like, to me at least, Jacob was doing that same thing. He was getting this information from Joseph, his son, youngest son, the son of his old age. Though he didn't, uh, it seems, appreciate it as much as he later would when he came to understand exactly what it meant, but he did ponder it. He thought on these things. And as we follow Joseph's path from the, the pit that is in which his brothers cast him to the palace of Pharaoh, I want us to notice a lot of things happen along the way. We see a lot of change in a whole lot of people as we study this account. And it all begins with the resentment that his brothers had for Joseph. Now I want us to notice, his brothers schemed against Joseph. They were out in the field as it happened to be one day. Jacob sent his youngest son Joseph to check on his brethren. Go into the field, go out to Shechem and find find your brothers, and bring a report back for me. Now, we're not given a whole lot of detail about that. I don't know if Jacob was a little bit worried about the behavior of these boys, and he wanted someone to go and inform him exactly what was going on so he could have ease of mind. Maybe he was just simply worried about them, wanted Joseph to take them some food for the supper or for the lunch in the middle of the day. But as he wandered in the fields, he, he came across a man and he asked if, he knew where his brothers were. Well, the man had overheard his brothers and he told Joseph where they were and that they were going to go down to Dothan. Well, as I was reading this passage, I was thinking, why would a complete stranger or at least someone not completely familiar with this family on a personal basis would be and have so much information about them? Why was that, do you think? Well, then I thought about uh, back to the account found in Genesis 34, verses 25 through 31, and and that's the account where their sister uh, Dinah was defiled, and the brethren were upset. Or brethren were upset, and so they went and they they spoke with those people that had uh, defiled their sister, and they made a quote a deal with them, and was going to marry their sister Dinah off. And they said, but you have to convert to our religion, right? And so they convinced these men to uh, submit to circumcision, and they waited, and on the third day, when these men were sore, and they were they were not feeling very well, they fell upon them and killed them. Well, this upset Jacob, didn't it, as we read this passage? He said, you've caused me to stink among the inhabitants of the land. He said, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites, I being few in number... They shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, me and all of my house. He was upset. These boys presented behavior that the inhabitants around them would have been very aware of. And so maybe perhaps that's why this man was keeping a little bit of a close eye on Jacob's sons. Of course, when the brothers saw Joseph coming, they looked up and their scheme began to unfold. They began to make their plans on what to do with him. Genesis thirty-four, twenty-five through thirty-one. Uh, or excuse me, let's go to Genesis thirty-seven, nineteen. He says, The brothers do. Behold, this dreamer cometh. I can just imagine these brothers being out in the field and being irritated and having animosity toward their youngest brother, and here he comes. Now remember. He had already given an evil report against their behavior to the father, and here the tattletale and the troublemaker comes again. And I could just see him, oh, here comes the dreamer, the one who we're going to bow down to, the one to whom our father and our mother will be in subjection. Here he comes. And so then, as it were, the wheels began to turn, and they decided that they wanted to murder their brother, Verse 19, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to throw his body into a pit. They wanted to take that all oh, that beloved tunic with sleeves and, and dip it in animals' blood and tell their father. And that a wild animal killed him. And now they're free of him, right? So when he got close enough, they laid their hands upon their younger brother at the age of 17 and they cast him into this pit. This water well that was not holding water at the time. No way out of that. The sides would have been very straight and slick. He was just simply in there. And then what did they do? After kidnapping Joseph and still planning to kill him, the brothers sat down to eat bread. Genesis 37, 19. Or, excuse me, 25. They sat down to eat bread. Now, I want us to notice some things about these men. They wanted to kill their brother. They were in the process of executing that plan. But they did not let that interfere with their lunch. They didn't let that stop them from filling their bellies with food. When we sit down, we stop doing that which is right. Just like these men here, we're in danger of getting off track, right? When we stop what we're doing, when we stop pushing ahead and living like God would have us to live and being very active in the works of the church and doing those things that He has asked us to do, we are in danger of losing our way. We're in danger of falling over to the side of Satan without even realizing it. And that's what we learn from this account of Joseph. We learn that when we fill our minds with such animosity and hatred, whether we understand it or not, we can get to a point in this life where it's impossible to repent. We can become so hardened that just like in Romans chapter 1, it states that God gave those people over to their lustful imaginations, to the sinful things that they wanted to be a part of, and He just allowed them to do what they wanted to do. God will let us do what we want to do. There's no doubt about it. He's not going to make us be faithful to Him. He's not going to make us be Christians. He is simply going to show us the way and He expects us to follow it, much like Jacob and his sons. See, we have to make some application here. Jacob could not force his sons to be obedient to his wishes. He did not want them to go against the inhabitants of the land and destroy them because they had sinned against his daughter Dinah because that puts him in a position of danger. But they did it anyway. He wanted them to be faithful to his God, and yet these men were not the men that God needed them to be. But he couldn't make them do that. He could simply show them the way. Paul presented a list of things to the church in Ephesus, of things he wanted them to stop doing or at least to avoid. Notice Ephesians 4, 27. He gives this whole list of these things, and in this verse, He ends it with this statement, and neither give place to the devil. Well, what's He talking about? He's talking about all of these things that He has listed. Avoid those things. And He says, and don't give place to the devil. Do not give Satan an opportunity in your lives to get a foothold. You know, I always enjoyed listening to Jerry Clower. All of you remember Jerry Clower. i always really loved that story about John climbing up into that tree to get that coon out, right? He would talk about Jerry Clower. said John began to climb that tree and he'd hang his toenails in that bark and boy, he'd climb all the way up in there. Do not let Satan get a toehold, right? Don't let him have an opening. That's what Paul's talking about. And when we lose focus and we sit down, And we're not being motivated by the circumstances around us. Satan has an opportunity to cause us a problem. Well, from their meal, they're sitting there and they're eating. They look up and they saw a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels on their way down to Egypt. And now we begin to hear from brother Judah. Enterprising Judah. Judah. After seeing that he asked his brothers a question. He said, "What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood?" verse 26. He then suggested, verse 27, he said, "Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh and his brothers or his, and his brethren were content." Well, let's don't kill our brother. It's not going to profit us monetarily. What a giant of a man. But I think that people in today's world, and have this has been this way for many, many years, they often feel like if they are not directly involved in a certain sin, then they are not held accountable for that sin. Now, what do I mean? Let's notice what John says, 2 John 10-11. through He said, if there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house. Neither bid him Godspeed, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Now these people weren't false teachers. The people that allowed these men to come into their homes, John doesn't say they're false teachers, but what happened is the false teachers came, and they supported them, and they sent them on their way, instead of rebuking them. Well, what do we see here with these brothers? Well, the life expectancy of a slave in this period of time in the history of mankind was not very long. So they were going to uh, sell Joseph their brother, and his life likely was not going to last very long under normal circumstances, and they would have known this. Solomon recorded for us, Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, six things, yea, seven that are an abomination to the Lord and shedding of innocent blood is one of them. And that's what we're dealing with here, right? And they say, well, we didn't kill our brother. Well, David did not physically kill Uriah. But Nathan said, you murdered him by the sword of those heathens you were battling against, right? David was a murderer. He murdered Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba. Let's notice Romans one thirty two as well. Paul, similar to his letter to the Ephesians, he lists this passage of sins. He says, don't do those things. God does not support these ideals. God does not support these lifestyles. He's talking about homosexuality. He's talking about backbiting. He's talking about gossipers. He's talking about people that do not have natural affection for their families. He's talking about all of these sins these lustful things in the lies, and he finishes with verse 32, saying, Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, and those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. The ones who participate in the sin are no more guilty than the ones that approve of the sin. Right? That's what he's talking about. It just bothers me when we come around to election time. Both parties, this is not a political speech, they get up and they'll say, I'm opposed to such and such personally. But I think everybody ought to have their right to do it, right? Well, they're approving of whatever that is. And they're just as guilty as the ones that are actually committing the sin. That's what we have here with Joseph's brethren. Oh, let's sell him off into slavery. That way his blood's not on our hands. The boy would surely have died if it had not been for the providence of God. The blood would have certainly been on their hands. Joseph was not the source of his brother's resentment. Their ungodliness was. But Joseph, the godly man, was ready for those things which were about to happen in his life. He was taken down to Egypt as a slave. He was placed in the home of Potiphar, the the chief or the captain of the guard of Pharaoh, and the young man prospered. We're told the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, Genesis 39, verse 2. Now I want us to be very aware and always remember that the Lord will be with those that are His even if they do not realize it. I can imagine that Joseph... Being 17 years old, and I think back and I look back on my life at 17 years old, and I am so thankful that I was never in this position. I don't think I could have done, well, I, I know I couldn't have done what Joseph did. Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 16 through 17, he said, at my first answer, no man stood with me. His first defense in Rome, trying to save his life, being stand, uh, standing before Caesar, He says, no man stood with me. They all forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, he said, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Who was with Joseph? He may not have realized it every second of the day, but you know what? I have a pretty good idea. The boy did. But he may not have realized it every second of every day, but God was with him and God would bless him. Why? Was it simply because that his brothers mistreated him? No, it was because he was faithful. See, that's a lesson that we learn, right? Things happen in our lives that we can neither control nor enjoy. They just simply happen. So what do we do? We keep living a faithful life just like God has asked us. And we see this in this young man, Joseph. He was prosperous because he did those things which God asked him to do. But Joseph had something to do with that, didn't he? God blessed him, but Joseph was a worker. He went into the home of Potiphar, boy, and he did a good job. Potiphar appreciated him. He had a proper attitude. He had a work ethic that was unparalleled as I read this. He did those things like God wanted him to do. He didn't blame God for the things that had happened to him. See, it is so easy in this life, and we've all, I guess, been guilty of it at some point or another in varying degrees. Something happens, and we want to ask God, we try to understand, God, why did you allow this to happen? Why did why did this happen? Well, God didn't have anything to do with it. Only good and perfect gifts, James says, come down from the Father of lights. Terrible things and bad things in this life don't happen because God endorsed that to happen or or He simply caused it to happen. It happened because sin came into the world. Adam and Eve sinned. They made a mistake. If it hadn't have been them, it would have been somebody else. Sin came into the world and all the things that come with sin happened. Poor decision making brings about health problems sometimes, right? Poor decision making brings about accidents sometimes. Poor decision making brings about all sorts of sorrows to families that we don't want to happen, but we can't blame God for that. It bothers me sometimes when when I hear someone say, well, everything happens for a reason. Well, not so. Not so. God doesn't cause terrible things to happen. I seems like I hear sports figures say that all the time. Some kind of a terrible accident that they have and puts them out. Well, everything happens for a reason. Well, maybe... Maybe you should have gotten out of the way of that tackler, right? That would have probably helped a whole lot in in not uh, causing that high ankle sprain to happen to one of our players on the University of Tennessee team this Saturday. God didn't have anything to do with that. He only gives us precious gifts. He didn't blame God. He did the best He could within the situation that He found Himself. That's a great example. Paul put it this way. He said... Philippians 4, verse 11, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. We may not have the ideal physical circumstances in this life, but Paul, and notice Paul didn't say, I'm just tickled to death with this persecution that I'm going through, right? He said, in whatever state I find myself, in whatever the situation is, I'm going to be content because I know at the end of this life, and this is what he's intending, right? The crown of life awaits me. Read that in 2 Timothy 4. He didn't say, I enjoy the beatings. I enjoy the nakedness. I enjoy the hunger. I enjoy the shipwrecks. He said, I don't enjoy. He didn't say I enjoy those circumstances. But within that situation, he was going to be faithful. And he was going to be content, knowing that God would bless him. It's just like when he asked God on three occasions. He had this particular issue, right? A physical ailment of some kind. We don't know what it is. He asked God to remove it. He called it a thorn in the flesh. God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. Be happy where you are, and one day you'll be in heaven. Don't worry about the physical. Well, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be concerned and put forth our best efforts to live in this life the way we ought to live. But we need to conduct ourselves the way God would have us to do that. And because of His good attitude and His good work ethic, He was promoted. And Potiphar was influenced by Joseph's faithfulness, and we see that in his life as well. In this true life account, we see the influence of one person over a multitude of people, right? Matthew 5.16, The Lord said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You've got this slave boy, a young man, jerked up out of his home, sent somewhere where he's not familiar, and he's living like a follower of God. Letting his light shine. That's our application to the New Testament, isn't it? God blessed the house and the fields of Potiphar, Genesis 39, verse 4. And he trusted Joseph so much, verse 5, that he didn't even know what he had. He let Joseph be the steward of his whole house. You know, as I, as I was reading this... uh began to think someone taking care of all of your belongings, and you don't even have to worry about it. isn't that a blessing? Wouldn't that be a great blessing to know that you were in finance you were financially secure, you were able to uh, go about your daily business without worrying about the management process of your household? Well, many of us that are married understand that in a very very personal way, don't we? Our wives. Those of us that are men, our wives, uh, uh, kind of manage our homes for us, don't they? Take good care of us. That's a blessing that is often overlooked. But we see that in the life of Joseph, that he was the steward that God wanted him to be under dire circumstances. You know, there should never be a greater employer or a better worker than a Christian in any business. Companies ought to be looking for Christians to be employees because we're honest, we're hardworking, we're faithful. At least we ought to be, right? Now, in the middle of all of this, did we think the devil was going to sit by and do nothing? He sat for a while, but then all of a sudden, we're introduced to Potiphar's wife and a big old problem. A big problem. Now, we aren't giving her name. Much like the rich man, it appears that the Holy Spirit didn't think enough of her to give her name to us. But we do know that she cast her eyes upon Joseph, asking him to lie with her. Now the Lord's enemies did the same thing to him. What does that mean? She cast her eyes upon him. She watched him daily. She followed his actions. The same thing happened to the Lord. Mark 3 verse 2. His enemies watched him closely whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. There was this man with the withered hand. It was a Sabbath day. And they watched him. They ignored the fact that he was the Son of God performing a miracle right before their very eyes. A man that had a lame hand and he healed it right before them. They were concerned with him doing it on the Sabbath day. They cast their eyes upon him. This is what Joseph was enduring. That was not a one-time thing either. As we look through the account, we see Genesis 39 verse 2, that she did this as a daily habit. Of course, being the the godly man that he was, Joseph refused the advances of his master's wife. He was not going to participate in that, and he told her as much. He said that, that her husband had placed within his care all that he had. He kept nothing from him save his own wife. And so he said, I cannot sin against him. But more importantly, he said, I cannot sin against God, verse 9. We'll read Psalm 51. And that is David's repentance psalm. He says that I sinned against thee and thee alone. He's talking to God. Now, did he sin against Uriah? Sure he did. Did he sin against Bathsheba? Absolutely. Did he sin even against himself? Yes, he did. But the point of the matter is, whatever sin we commit, it is a sin committed against God first and foremost. Joseph understood that. What an example. Finally, she grabbed him. He fled from the house, leaving behind his outer garment. And notice that hundreds of years later, Paul made a statement that reminds me so much of Joseph. 2 Timothy two twenty two. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. We have to notice, though, in this passage, it's not good enough just to flee, right? It's not good enough just to extract yourself from a situation. Paul said, the Holy Spirit, through his pen, said, but follow after, pursue righteousness, peace, faith, faithfulness, right? And that's exactly what Joseph did. And because of his integrity, Joseph was once again cast into prison. It's almost as if this young man cannot catch a break. He's being faithful. The world says... You're going to follow after a God that allows that to happen? Like each time that we have recorded for us, Joseph reacted in a godly manner. He impressed the jail keeper, didn't he? The chief of the prison. He impressed him and was given duties in the jail that other prisoners were not given. He had similar duties that he had in Potiphar's house and We see that as he continued to do this, God's providence is shining upon him. But he not only impressed the prison keeper, he met two men in there, didn't he? We remember them, the butler and the baker that worked in the home or the palace of Pharaoh. And they also had a dream. Each one of them had a dream. We remember those dreams. The butler dreamed that he was once again serving the cup to Pharaoh. And the baker dreamed that he had a basket of bread upon his head, and birds came and ate it. Well, see, let's understand a little bit about these two positions. They were very highly important. First of all, the butler would bring the drink, the cup, to Pharaoh. He would take the cup, he would pour a little bit of it in his hand, and he would drink it out of his hand because sometimes people tried to poison the king. So his job was very important. Likewise, the, the baker, the chef, the cook, he would bring food to Pharaoh, and it had to have been tested. Now, as I studied this, there's a lot of uh, ideas floating around as to why that these two men were placed into prison. And one of the ideas I thought was kind of humorous. Uh, the, the baker, it appears, uh, in the minds of some people, allowed a stone or a pebble or something like that to get into the flour. And when Pharaoh ate the bread, he chomped down on a rock. Now, I don't know if that's the case or not. But we do know that the butler was installed back into the house of Pharaoh and the baker was hung. Now, before the butler going back in, he asked him, he said, you remember me when you get back to the palace. Don't forget about me. But what happened? He forgot. He forgot. He got all the way back to the palace And Joseph remained in prison for another two years. For 13 years, let's think about this, for 13 years, this young man, a 17-year-old child, was either a slave or a prisoner. And he still lived like God wanted him to live. What an amazing testament to humanity, to those that want to follow after God. After his additional time in prison, the king of Egypt had two dreams himself. And Joseph was identified by the butler. He was remembered. And he brought forth Joseph out of prison, washed, he shaved, they fed him, put some new clothes on him, brought before the king, and he gave the interpretation of the dreams. And we remember the dreams. You had the, the seven ears of corn, you had the seven cows of the kind, the... The lean ones ate up the fat ones, right? Of course, that was a dearth that was coming. Joseph said, we're going to have a famine. You're going to have seven years of good time, so you gather up, you put into storehouses the food that we're going to need because we're going to have seven years of nothing. The fruit of the earth would no longer yield itself in that part of the world, and so you need to get ready. Pharaoh came to realize that he could not find such a man as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is, Genesis forty-one thirty-eight, And Joseph became the governor of Egypt. He became second in command only to Pharaoh himself. And through all of the hardships, Joseph remained faithful. Now, should he have enjoyed all of his time in prison and as a slave? That's not what the point is, is it? The point is that he was faithful. We can take the application of what happened to Joseph's life nearly 4,000 years ago and make application in our own lives today. Let's be faithful to God. His actions proved he was a man of God. God's providence was witnessed in his life. But what if God's providence had not been witnessed in his life? He still should have remained faithful, right? We can't say, well, things are going bad for us. We're just going to give it up. That's not what God wants. He doesn't want that to happen. Whether it's good or whether it's bad, it's much like Daniel's four friends, right? O King Nebuchadnezzar, our God can save us, but if he chooses not to, we will not bow down before the image. And they didn't. That's what we learned from Joseph. Just a simple recount of the history of Joseph does us no good, does it? I can read that for myself. I have to make application have to understand how to apply that to my life, how I remain faithful, even though things sometimes in our lives are not what we want them to be. Now, we want good things to happen to us and we want to thank God and be thankful to Him when people recover from sicknesses that we pray for, when things in our own lives happen and God helps us through that. But you know, sometimes bad things happen to good people because of choices of other people or choices made by ourselves. But we still have to be faithful. Joseph teaches us that. He was in a pit. He ended up in the palace. But all along the way, he was looking at paradise, wasn't he? And I know that's where he is today. But he was there because he was faithful. And that's where we want to be. Most of us here are Christians. We understand how to become Christians through faith, repentance, confession, immersion in water, faithful livings, how we get into heaven. But sometimes we find ourselves in positions Not exactly like Joseph, but sometimes they're dire. And we make mistakes and we choose not to live a Christian life. Well, we can be forgiven of that. We can pray to God, ask for repentance. James says, the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We ask God to forgive us, He will. He'll welcome us back into the fold. That's known as the second law of pardon. If you have need to answer this Lord's invitation at this time, whether it's through initial obedience to the uh, plan of salvation or through repentance and coming back to God. Let that be known as we stand and as we sing.